Leon. I got Monica Quitivo. I've got Chris Sauber. Today we're going to be discussing a case study with a 62-year-old woman with early breast cancer during the COVID-19 pandemic. So Monica, who will share her screen, you know, I've got the article in front of me, Dr. Al does too. Interesting stuff. We wanted to talk to you guys about this because this is very relevant right now and it will probably be so for the foreseeable future. So with that being said, Monica, welcome and take it away from here. Okay, so sharing the screen right now. Uh, this is the... Yeah, before you share the screen, I, I, I think let me tell you, Monica, one thing. Uh, about this uh, article, it is from New England Journal of Medicine, which is a very respectable uh, one of the best uh, journals in medicine uh, now. And it is mainly discussing a case of the patient that presented in, uh, to, the, to the hospital for breast cancer. And with the COVID-19 era now, there is a lot of changes that can happen and in medical practice, especially in oncology, mainly. And, uh, we, we see here from this, uh, there was some consensus about how to treat these patients. So the patient comes with a stage one or two. Uh, in the past era where we used to have uh, uh, no COVID, we used to do directly surgery for them and followed by uh, endocrine therapy or chemotherapy, it depends. And this is for uh, the early breast cancer, her to new negative. But now with the era of uh, COVID, in the time of COVID, because of the risk of surgery and the uh, risk of uh, chemotherapy, of uh, the patient can lower the immune system and get COVID. That's why there is now the tendency to go through neoadjuvant chemotherapy. That's mean doing chemotherapy before the surgery or before, or doing endocrine therapy before the surgery and uh, going from there to the other, uh, to the treatment that the patient needed. This uh, slide mainly from the article itself at the, in the New England Journal of Medicine, I think it's the July 16, 2020, about 10 days ago, and uh, showing for us the newly diagnosed uh, chemotherapy and this is the stratified the patient according to their menopausal uh, condition. This is premenopausal, postmenopausal, and uh, okay. And also uh, in breast cancer, we have estrogen receptor and uh, HER2 new receptors, and the treatment according to them is different in the in any time with COVID or without COVID. And also the triple negative breast cancer, we know that's the most aggressive type of breast cancer. Also, there is a new recommendation about treating it uh, with the, in the era of uh, COVID. And if we go over this uh, simplified tablet that uh, prescribed it for uh, postmenopausal females that have hormone receptor positive and uh, her to new. Uh, or epidermal growth factor uh, number two uh, negative, the recommendation now in 
for early stage one and two is to do neoadjuvant that's been doing endocrine therapy ahead of time and then followed by uh, surgery and also radiation treatment for the patient for stage three uh, that's been tumor is uh, bigger than the other two stages and there's lymph node involved also involved, uh, recommended to do for amniotajuvent for premenopausal because the tumor is more aggressive okay to be considered chemotherapy on the as mentioned in the slide followed by radiation after the surgery for uh, the her to new positive because it is more aggressive type of disease for pre and postmenopausal they recommended doing the uh, using the special target therapy with uh, Herceptin and Progeta uh, with chemotherapy for these patients. For triple negative, uh, mainly chemotherapy is the only effective way to control the disease. Doctor, and, can, can this modify management during COVID-19, pandem uh, the pandemic, put the patient at risk when it comes to the progression of the cancer? Uh, that's the question that uh, we find. We know that there is uh, earlier studies for breast cancer, specifically than the one we, in the stage one and two, that the one we did for them, uh, neoadjuvant chemotherapy, and they had complete remission, the outcome is much better. So I think this is going to be a real life a trial for the patient to see does it help unlike this, and maybe down the line we can find out if the whole standard of care is going to be changing in breast cancer for neoadjuvant or uh, or to do go back to the traditional surgery followed by adjuvant chemotherapy followed by radiation. And actually we're running now clinical trial with uh, Dr. Hoffman and Pfizer about using neoadjuvant chemotherapy in early breast cancer and we're finding a lot of good response in the stage one and two cancer for these patients and down staging stage three to a lower stage but not completely complete response as in the other earlier two stages okay so, so yeah go ahead no Monica. go ahead doctor <laughs> yes, no no but I, I just i just i'm telling you it's a, a concept that's out there and we know there is a better survival for the patient who have complete response complete pathological response be more accurate. That's mean after doing the new adjuvant, they go and take the localized type of uh, localized tumor out and they don't find any any cancer cell there. That means the outcome for these patients is much better than the one who have residual tumor. And this is only new adjuvant with chemotherapy or hormonal treatment is about 25 to 30% of the whole cases of the patient who receive new adjuvant. Okay, so which will be the, the key factors that you will evaluate to determine the course of action uh, to use adjuvant or neoadjuvant therapy? Uh, yeah, the standard of care now without COVID is any tumor have lymph node positive or uh, tumor more than two centimeters. The goal of doing neoadjuvant before COVID, which is not to put the patient at higher risk of getting COVID in the normal life, like life in 2019, we used to do neoadjuvant for, conserv uh, for breast conservative uh, 
reasons. That means the patient wants to keep her breast. She doesn't want to have mastectomy. She have a small, uh, she have a tumor more than two centimeters, or she have a lymph node positive. We used to do the neoadjuvant chemotherapy, which is the treatment before the surgery, and then after that, refer them to surgery, and then after that, refer, uh, refer them to chemotherapy and radiation if they need it, or hormonal treatment and radiation if they uh, need it. But now with the COVID, because of the risk of having uh, getting the infection of COVID mm -hmm. more, then we doing this uh, management, which is approaching it by neoendocrine therapy, which is the least aggressive type of treatment for cancer patients. And and the high preoperative uh, mortality for the patient and elective surgery for breast cancer, uh, that was drove us to go through this kind of approaches for these patients where we're trying to conserve their resources to give it to patients who need it, who, have, who are much more sicker and uh, trying to control and limit the viral uh, spread and minimize the surgical uh, risk for these patients. And so we know that the patient, if you go through surgery in the COVID time now they had about uh, especially if they have diagnosis of cancer they did their 30 day mortality for them is about 24 percent comparing to the uh, yep so that's why we're trying to do these kind of things which is trying to reduce the risk of uh of course. patient getting the infection and dying because of that so do you see this uh, modified management during the uh, COVID pandemic as an opportunity to do research to compare the results, I mean, of the previous results using the, the, the regular treatment against the, the new treatment that is uh, uh, being, um, you know, um, you know, treatment that is, that is now using for, that is being used now in, during the pandemic? I, I think it is, I did not find any any research study now running to compare the modified management uh, of, for the patient who have a breast cancer at this time. There is no, I, I, I don't think there is any clinical trial that do this now at this time because of the serious, seriousness of the illness itself. It's not a time to do to put patient life at risk because of the clinical trial. So I think at the end of the day, because we have a lot of data that compares the COVID for non, the non-COVID trial before, and most probably they're gonna do kind of a collection of uh, information or after the COVID or after they try to control the COVID to do these kind of uh, information. But I think it is a, it is it worth to go this because there is a lot, especially in oncology, because there is a lot of uh, changes in practicing oncology these days because of the COVID. So if I can interject one question real quick, what, what, what's your personal opinion, Dr. Al, in terms of the modified therapy versus the previous therapy. Do you think modified therapy puts patients at greater risk? I think my personal opinion depends on the patient because I think the first thing have to be to do is the safety and the safety of the patient. So 
I should not, if any decision I want to make, I should not uh, sacrifice the outcome of the treatment for the patient. Okay, and the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the ASCO now, is bringing out a more recommendation not only for breast cancer, power, but for different cancer. And, uh, and I have to follow these things. I don't think I will do a judgment on myself for these patients to treat them and jeopardize their, the outcome because I think it is better. I think I should follow the recommendation as we've been doing, following the guidelines all the time for this uh, type of treatment for the patient. No and have and I was reading also in the article about the ultra high the ultra hypofraction um, regimen. The, uh, the the hyperfractionated radiation therapy. I think there is it is troublesome for the patient because they have to go more than one time at the same day for the radiation center but also it is uh, less time consuming for the patient and uh, the outcome of the hyperfractionated is better than the conventional uh, radiation treatment. And I think with this, I think hyperfractionated should be adapted more at this time. It's uh, at this time of COVID uh, pandemic uh, for the patient. It's an excellent question, Monica. Thank you, Doctor. Well, this seems I, to be... I, I think we can go to the other slide now, uh, sure. Monica. Which is talking about the new finding of uh, COVID-19 with the... Yeah, I'm gonna share it in a second. Anyway, this is like how to, for the physician in general, how to make their, in an oncology, how to help them in making decisions regarding the patient. This is why we go back for your question, uh, uh, Chris, would this change my practice of medicine? Yes, 100% will change my practice of oncology. And these tools or these things is to help us in, uh, in making the right decision for the patient as we can. And this is, if you find the tap, the decision regarding immediate cancer treatment during the COVID-19 crisis, and on the side risk progression with uh, delay of cancer treatment, and in the, uh, on the tap uh, right side, uh, risk of significant morbidity. Okay, these kind of tools will help us in making the right decision for the patient. And you see there is the, from the study and from the information we have about cancer in general, they specify the patient for low, low, intermediate, and high risk. And they put the recommendation as thumb up or thumb down for the patient, uh, what to do for them to try. So they're saying for yeah, low right. risk, yeah, for low risk patients who have uh, no melanoma, ER, her, uh, uh, hormone positive breast cancer, and uh, 
low prostate cancer, type 1 endometrial cancer, and age at any age delaying the, said, the treatment for more than three months, it will not gonna affect on the expectancy of the patient life. But for, if you look at the high risk patient, which is the, the one who have colon cancer that's obstructed or tumor that's more than two centimeters in the lung or pancreatic cancer or hematological malignancy or they need radiation for certain type of uh, type of cancer. The main thing is like to do the treatment for them ASAP for patient whose age is less than 70. For the patient whose age more than 70, it's an, it depends on the physician call himself, how risky, how dangerous it is for the patient. Because oh. the patient who have, who their age more than 70, they have higher risk of getting uh, infection and complication. So if I can ask, because uh, I've always thought that pancreatic cancer, being one of the cancers that are in the high risk, I always thought that was terminal. I thought there was no, uh, like six months, so is what I've been told by other oncologists. Is that not the case? It depends on the case. It depends on the stage. Uh, for early breast cancer, now we can do chemo and radiation, which is can improve the progression, and after that, do do for them the surgery for uh, other type of uh, pancreatic cancer. We can do surgery followed by chemo or chemo and radiation. And uh, pancreatic cancer is different type. The one you're talking about is metastatic and uh, adenocarcinoma, which is the most aggressive immunoendocrine tumor of the pancreatic cancer. It is uh, it behaves completely different from the the adenocarcinoma and uh, can be controlled with others. We have target therapy now for uh, pancreatic cancer, which can help in improving the survival and reducing the symptoms that can come with the pancreatic cancer. I was just thinking there's really no point in even doing treatment if you're terminal, right? Especially for uh, longer life. We we changing our perspective about this these days in uh, in cancer pancreatic cancer patient because we have a much uh, more type of treatment and much easier uh, uh, out much easier side effect. Uh, side effect. Yeah. Oh. Sorry, Monica. No, no. And how about, doctor, how about the patients that are phase four? Yeah, that's why we talk in stage four cancer. Uh, it depends on the uh, complication and if there is some kind of uh, stage four cancer that can we improve their quality of life by oral pills itself only. Not We don't have to go to uh, chemotherapy for them. Breast cancer hormonal treatment can be helpful other target therapy that if we can do new genomic studies or genome study for the cancer and find out the specific target therapy that can be effective, especially if it is oral, uh, can help. In the COVID era, they're trying to discourage using the immunotherapy because it can work in uh, reducing the immune 
uh, as same as chemotherapy. Now, with with the HER2 receptor for breast cancer, uh, the HER2 negative is most common, or which one is the most common? The most common is the HER2 uh, negative. About twenty percent of the uh, breast cancer is HER2 new positive. So HER2 negative is the most common. Okay. Yep. Because I on this chart I don't see HER2 positive. Um, I think this chart was uh, for the for decision making in general, but the chart that you saw before, okay. that they were talking specifically about her to new, but this is in management of breast cancer okay. in general. Okay. And that's also one of the reasons why the triple negative is the most- uh, Aggressive and aggressive, uh, need yeah. to be treated by chemotherapy. Right, okay. That makes sense. I think all this new, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's just opportunities to do more research and to compare, uh, to consider more like in between the treatments that were the normal with the new ones. Uh, and I, I think it's going to improve a lot um, how doctors and, you know, I mean, not just in, not just for cancer, but in general, the, the, for new approaches. It's open up more opportunities and, and probably opportunities to do more research too. I, I, I think you're absolutely right. This is where you can, where you doing that. You're saying that the, the bottom line of the whole thing here, Monica, it's, it's an opportunity of doing more research and more uh, because of the changes of the practice and we need to compare it to the standard of care that we used to do before. These are new things, just recommendation and the physician judgment come at the end, what to do or what not to do and how we can approach these patients. But is it gonna be the standard of care? We do not know. But if we can have another epi uh, pandemic or anything, at least we have a guideline to proceed with as if we did the clinical trial. So as long as, basically, as long as the disease is stable, in the neoadjuvant setting, you can delay therapy for six months or, or delay the, the surgery for up to six months using the, the, the neoadjuvant therapy. Yes, especially if it is hormonal treatment, you can delay the treatment in early breast cancer, what you're talking about. And uh, different type of other cancer, it depends on the stage and with the aggressiveness of the disease and the presentation also. Mm-hmm. In general, the, the, the patient who have uh, COVID-19, they are, uh, typically they have more chances to die because of the infection. Have, having cancer on top of it, that will increase your risk. Most of the patients that uh, have uh, cancer and possible infection with COVID, they present with, with the symptoms of uh, like cough in general and uh, yeah. fevers, uh, sometimes uh, anemia or sometimes lymphopenia. Uh, a patient who have cancer and COVID, 50% of them will have a severe course. About 20, 21-25% will go to the ICU of mm -hmm. them. This is the, I'm just giving you an idea about the, 
the risk of why we should look into these kind of things as physician and try to guide ourselves because the outcome of these patients, if we're going to put them through major treatment, it can be really bad for them. A now factor that can factor that can be associated with 30-day mortality more is older age, mainly for these patients, uh, male smoking, lung cancer, and increase in the comorbid condition like diabetes, hypertension, coronary artery disease. Having hematological malignancy is worse than having non-hematological malignancy, and the risk of dying with hematological malignancy is fourfold more than than hematological malignancy. So the rationale for, because when they're taking neoadjuvant, let's, let's go back to breast cancer. And then I want to ask you about your, what you're doing with your current treatment for outpatient, as well as the clinical trials that you have during a pandemic, because you're still, I mean, there's still a risk with these patients coming into an office when they have possibly low white blood cell count, right? Neutropenia, um, it's very common a side effect of, of the treatment. So there's still a risk for the patients even to come into the office, right? Like even beyond surgery, just coming in, getting the chemo treatment or getting the treatments. Um, what's the rationale for, the, for postponing the surgery other than the hospital resources maybe not being there? Is it the infections, the rates of infection can go up because of neutropenia uh, if they receive neoadjuvant therapy or is that not the concern? In, in, uh, in, in general, the chemotherapy is more aggressive treatment considered for the patient than uh, hormonal treatment. And in general, any type of treatment can affect the immune system, can increase the risk of having COVID-19. Going out of the, office, uh, out of the house, coming to the office more frequent, as before, it's one of the things that can increase your risk of having or contacting the COVID-19 or the viral infection. Uh, there is a lot of tendency now to do treatment uh, at home for the patient or trying to do for them uh, less office visits and more telemedicine where they can interview the patient over the phone to see the side effects. The patient who needs to be treated need to be treated. Triple negative disease, have to new positive disease need to be treated. Will we change our follow-up, maybe less frequent visits, maybe sending him nurse to the home to do his blood drawing and do stuff like this will be easier for the patient and less risky for him. Mm -hmm. And how, what's your, has your office, your private practice and the outpatient research studies that you have in your office, has that changed at all with COVID-19 or is it still the same procedures basically for the patients? No, it is much, uh, much more change than before. It's not just change because I'm trying to reduce the average visit for most of the patient who is only for surveillance or they finish their chemo do for them more frequent call and like this for the chemo patient who's been getting it in my office, I've been uh, trying to do for them a conference call after the chemo day and even in uh, more frequent, try to manage their side effects over the phone, mm -hmm. try to send them home health and like this. So uh, mm -hmm. the, the scope of the practice completely changed and like this. 
my office as as you used to come and see it so busy now you know i see much less patient in my office right trying to reduce the uh the contact of the patient with uh with a right. with healthcare worker try to reduce the contact of the patient with other patient when they come into the building or into the office and try to reduce the risk of uh, make their comp- uh, their condition more complicated. So basically they're still coming in to get their treatment cycles, but all the follow-ups that would have been done in person are now being done remotely, virtually, or, or sending someone to the home. Exactly, and doing more assessment for them. If they need to come, we bring them and need to be hospitalized. We still hospitalize them, but trying to keep the hospital bed mainly for sicker patients who have the virus infection. Okay. And as okay. far as research, as far as research, nothing has changed really. Um, that I know from the protocols Actually, we're doing, the you know the protocols haven't really changed, uh, but they're allowing more of a remote visits if if need be uh for the ones taking the i mean let's say it's not an infusion it's an oral treatment you know they can take it from home instead of coming into the office and things like that i i I think you're absolutely right and there is a new recommendation by fda according to the cdc and also from the european societies about how to do trials and the COVID-19, maybe we can discuss it next time to go over the FDA recommendation and uh, see how we can, how it's going to change our landscape for trial as we change the COVID-19, change our landscape for treating and following up with the patient. Okay. I think this COVID-19 kind of shaking everything, but I mean, obviously, uh, all changes are some difficult and, you know, but this, this is giving us uh, a broad perspective of treatments are more, um, like open the mind for everybody to take a look beyond that what we have, uh, that we had in the past. And, um, I mean, it's, Again, like I mentioned before, I think it's a great opportunity, especially for for new treatments. I agree with you 100%, Monica. Yep. Any more questions, guys? Chris, Dan? I have no more questions. Very, very educational, though. (laughs) <laughs> yes. uh, I, I, I know it's too much like uh, concentrated regarding uh, oncology and like this and there is a lot of uh, oncology jargon there but we're trying to I'm trying to make it as simple as I can so everybody can benefit from uh, this mm-hmm. kind of podcast and everybody can but if any question need to be done just let us know guys we're more than helpful and maybe yeah. as I told you then next week we start talking about uh, the FDA recommendation about the clinical trial in the COVID era. Yeah, we can do that because that, uh, you know, one of Monica's questions early on was about, you know, is this the ideal ideal situation to do a study on this, on postponing the, the surgery in breast cancer, for example. And you were saying that that's not, probably not the best idea because uh, you don't want to do a study and put patients in unnecessary risk. But would that, would it be appropriate to do a study like this during coronavirus outbreak, right, where that basically is the standard procedure 
Uh, I, so I don't know. It's a lot of complicated questions here. <laughs> but we can use the data for future reference at least. Yeah, you I, can I, do, I, I guess, retrospective studies where you look at the charts a year from now for the doctors that are, that are following these recommendations of delaying three months, six months, if it's safe to delay. And then we could look at progression of disease a year from now, just doing the charts and seeing like a retrospective review rather than doing it in person just because of the patient, you know, just because we need to do a study. So maybe that would be the appropriate. That's a sneak peek, uh, uh, sneak peek for next week. Sneak peek I think so. for you clinicians who are primarily watching and everyone else, you know, just like me, Monica and Chris, there's a lot of people like us watching that are interested in this. And, uh, you know, we're always about clinical research, making it practical to do studies. There are tons of cancer studies right now on clinicaltrials.gov. So if you're interested, if you're an oncologist interested in doing one of these cancer studies, reach out to one of us, okay? And, you know, Dr. Al, myself, Chris, Monica, reach out. We can probably have a conversation about what it would take for you to get started uh, doing clinical research. Yeah, and we probably can also uh, uh, share uh, Dr. L article and all the information that was given here. I have and, one uh, copy autographed by Dr. L. So I mean, <laughs> I'm giving it. It's not my article. I'm, I, I, I just was uh, one of the journals that I received and I was reviewing it and I found it, it is interesting to discuss because it's going to change the, no, the scope of the practice in, uh, in oncology. It's very interesting, actually. And yeah, it's seriously, really anybody, anybody that watched till the end, the first person that emails me, Dan, at theclinicaltrailsguru.com, I will bring this paper back to Dr. Al, have him autograph it, and we'll mail it to you. <laughs> you funny guy. We'll do it. Try me out, guys. We, if you stayed 40 minutes, I know you're passionate about this, so you deserve something. Does a great gift. <laughs> I think so. If nobody wants it, I'll keep it. <laughs> Me too. Actually, when I bring mine, mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good, good episode, guys, and a good um, cliffhanger for next week. So, thank you, Dr. Al. Thank you, Monica. Thank you, Chris. Thank, thank you, everyone, you for watching and listening. Thank you, and we look forward to doing this uh, every week with you guys. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.